Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. You're listening to Episode 7 of the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we talk about building up a family culture around books. Today's episode is all about creating a lifestyle of reading aloud, and I've got just the person here to chat with us about it. Melissa Wiley is a mother of six and a children's book author, and she has some great ideas for how to work reading aloud into the fabric of family life, some tips for tricky accents and dialects, and a slew of awesome book suggestions. You're not going to be able to keep up with the book titles she recommends, so you're going to want to head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode seven so you can check out the show notes. Before we get to the interview, I want you to know that today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is my go-to resource for audiobooks for myself and my kids. They have a huge selection of titles to choose from, and I've been so pleased with the high-quality recordings I find there. To get your free audiobook, head to audibletrial.com slash readaloud. Today I'm chatting with Melissa Wiley, the author of more than a dozen books for kids and teens, including some of our family's favorites, The Prairie Thief, Inch and Rolly Make a Wish, Fox and Crow Are Not Friends, and all of the Martha and Charlotte Little House books. She lives in San Diego with her husband and their six kids, and Melissa has been blogging about her family's reading life since 2005 at Here in the Bonnie Glen. Her blog is one of my very favorite resources for book recommendations. Hey, Melissa, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, hi there. Thank you for having me. Well, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about uh, your family and your writing before we get started? I'm sure. I have six kids. My oldest is just finishing her freshman year in college. Actually, today, um, she's writing her last paper of the year. Wow. Yay. (laughs) We get to go pick her up tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. Um, And then at home, I have a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, let's see, 10, 8, and 5-year-olds. Okay. Five, really? Wow. Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? No. He's he's five and a half. Oh my goodness. The pictures of him when he was roly poly baby just killed me. I know. Well, he was such a little chunk and then that curly hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now he's a big boy and he has, he's reading now. So it struck me recently that I've taught the last of my children to read. Well, 
I've watched the last of my children learn to read. I <laughs> don't really teach any of them. Yeah, that's a major like shift when you're a whole family full of readers. I bet I still have three babies, so I'm not there yet. <laughs> but wow, <laughs> it's just a little mind blowing when suddenly we're here with everybody can pick up a book. Um, yeah, that's so huge. that's the family. And then my husband, Scott, is a writer um, like me. And like me, he works from home. So we take turns. Um, he writes from 9 to 3 while I'm with the kids. And then from 3 to 9, i that's my writing shift. And he makes dinner and I come out and eat. And so that's really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Um, because I don't have to cook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't get any better than that. Um, <laughs> so that's our, that's our routine. And um, we've done, you know, it's been that way for the last four years since Scott returned to freelancing. Um, so it's, it's a really fun arrangement for the whole family. Yeah, I bet. That's awesome. Now, you guys have read aloud a ton in your family all along, right? That's just been a big piece of your life. Yes. Before. Actually, Scott and I started reading aloud to each other. I think well, a little bit even before, like even before we got married, sometimes on car trips, um, I would read out loud while he was driving. But then it really, it really picked up when my oldest was born. And when I was nursing her, we decided to do this thing where we, there were childhood favorite books that each of us had that the other one had not read. So Scott started reading them out loud to me. Um, while I was nursing. So he'd do one of his and then one of mine. So The Great Brain was one of his. Ah, I haven't read that one. My spot. daughter just finished it, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That was, well, it was really fun to hear it from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was had been one of his favorite books as a kid. And then um, he had never read Harriet the Spy. Oh, which I just couldn't have. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, yeah. So he read that out loud, and we just went back and forth with that. Um, so family read-alouds have been part of our family culture since really day one, um, since we brought the first baby home. And yes, we now it happens in all kinds of different permutations where I read a lot. I, a lot of what I do all day long is read out loud. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, well, I don't know. I've been following your family's homeschooling kind of adventures over the years because you're so inspiring, but it seems like that... Um, is like the bulk of what your role is in teaching your kids. Is that right? Yeah, it really is. It's um, and even with the older ones, we'll have you know some kind of meaty history book or science book that um, we're reading together, and and they like it um, for me to read it out loud. And that's a really good way for us to kind of keep pace with each other, and we stop and discuss a lot. So um, even with you know the higher level nonfiction stuff with my teenagers. It's been a, a really great way for us to learn together. So do you think you read uh, less or yet yeah, more often, less often, or it's kind of the same, but just different things now that your kids are older than you did maybe a handful of years ago? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's definitely shifted as they got older, but I probably read about the same amount of time in a day um, at, over the course of a day. You know, it just breaks up differently. But okay. I'll, I'll read, um, I try to, to read at least one or two picture books to my younger set every day. Okay. Um, so that would be um, Rilla and Huck. Um, the eight-year-old and the five-year-old. Okay. So we have a little chunk of time, usually after lunch, um, before they're 
iPod time, iPad time yeah. starts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is when, and that's kind of my thing is I always want to read to them before they're going to get on and play games. Okay. Um, yeah. And I love the game playing. I love it. I play a lot of games with them, but um, I always try to get reading in there first. So okay. we read together. Um, even the realist eight, she, you know, of course loves picture books still. And so we'll usually wind up with a, a good size stack on the bed by the time we're done because I'll finish one and somebody will grab another and you know how that goes. Yep. <laughs> um, I and then now I, my two-year-old, she's really funny because now she's realized that when we say, okay, pick your book before bed, that oh. if she picks a whole armful, then <laughs> you know, we just sort of, okay. <laughs> hard to say no to that yeah yeah <laughs> she'll kind of grab like four tuck them under her arm and look at us and then grab another one and look at us to see kind of like are right. they gonna let me get away with it <laughs> how far can I can I get away with this yeah yeah yep um, um then the eight-year-old also um now that she's you know I, we just finished the secret garden recently um, so I'm reading books that are that her little brother is not quite interested in yet. So we have that chunk of time for ourselves um, to read, and then whatever I'm, you know, reading with the um, older girls, the 13 year old and the 15 year old. Um, the younger ones are usually in the room when that's going on. Sometimes they wander off and play somewhere else, but they're around for a lot of it, so they're absorbing a lot of of what we've been reading for history um, or science books that we've been reading, which makes for some interesting discussions because um, one book that I've been reading with my older girls this year is called Wormwood Forest. I don't think um, I've heard of that one. It, um, Jen McGonigal at As Cozy, at Spr um, As Cozy as Spring. Yeah, yeah, I love her blog. Wonderful blog. Um, recommended it. She read it, and I thought, oh, that might be fun. And we started reading it, um, the girls and I together, and it's fascinating. It's about Chernobyl and, um, and what's there now, all this, all this time after. <laughs> um, okay. I'm yeah. writing that down so I don't forget to link it so, up in the show notes. So, you know, so I'm reading about this sort of nuclear post-wasteland, and the five-year-old is with huge ears in the room. <laughs> So it does make for some interesting discussions sometimes um, when the little ones are in on what what the bigger ones um, are doing. Yeah, that's um, an interesting I read a lot of poetry to everybody. And so this year, the the older girls and I read a lot of Spencer's The Fairy Queen, and we did um, big chunks of the Canterbury Tales, and um, and then just lots of we we have been working our way through. We got as far as the English um, romantic poets. Um, so far this year. So tons and tons of stuff. And again, the younger ones are around for that. Do you have a favorite? Does your family have a favorite poet or do y'all have different favorites? Or I think everybody has different favorites. I know that um, a lot of them, Emily Dickinson is their favorite. Yeah, uh, that's my daughter's especially favorite. Especially <laughs> because, do you know the books? Um, well, there's Emily by Barbara Cooney. Oh, um, no, I don't know that one, which I maybe I should because Emily oh Dickinson my is my daughter's, my 12-year-old is a huge <gasps> poetry buff, and she loves Emily Dickinson by Barbara Cooney. Yes, at like least Barbara Cooney. The same. Barbara, yes, Miss okay. Rumpheus. She okay. illustrated it. I, I, I want to say she wrote it too, but now I'm second-guessing myself. It might have had a different author. Um, well, anyway, it's a picture book, and it's lovely. It's, a, it's one with, you know, a little more text. Um, okay. 
And all of my kids just adore that book. It's really sweet. It's the little, a little girl moves in across the street from Emily Dickinson, and the two of them forge this very sweet friendship, um, not really through words, through, through kind gestures. Um, it's, it's delightful. Okay, and then there's it's by Michael Bedder that looks like I just pulled it up on Amazon. It's okay, my, okay, I'm gonna have to order this. <laughs> the writing, I have to say the writing is absolutely lovely. It's one of my favorite picture books. Okay. Um, so I'm deeply ashamed that I didn't know the author. <laughs> um, but now that you say it, that makes sense. Um, because I can actually picture it under the bees on the shelf. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's pretty close to see. That's so. pretty close, yeah. <laughs> so, And then there's another book. Do you know The Mouse of Amherst? No. I don't. Oh, my goodness. You're going to love this book. It is um, It's something. It's sort of a cross between a picture book and a a little short chapter book. It's, I mean, it's, it's size is small, but it's, it's, um, longer, um, and more text typically than a picture book would have. It is the sweetest story. Um, it's, it's a mouse who's a little poet mouse living in Emily Dickinson's house and they write poems back and forth to each other. So like, I'm nobody. Who are you? Is Emily writing to the mouse? Oh, my goodness. Okay. It's just, it's one of Rilla's favorite books. It's one of everybody um, in my house's favorite books. Um, and it's, um, oh, is, is it Elizabeth Spires? Um, I'm looking it up now, too. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's yeah, it's Elizabeth Spires. Um, just beautiful, beautiful books. So those two books plus the Poetry for Young People series, Oh, yeah, um, we have a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that their Emily Dickinson volume is just a favorite one around here. Um, then also Robert Frost, um, my daughter, Beanie, loves Frost especially. I'm, I mean, I'm a huge Yates and Haney person, so okay. my kids get big doses <laughs> <laughs> of, um, of those guys. And, um, and I have... A, one of my kids is a Lewis Carroll fan. So that Poetry for Young People volume is another big favorite one in the house. That's like um, Jabberwocky, and, right? Is that right? Or am I getting uh, that yes, totally messed yeah, up? Okay. Yeah, that's Jabberwocky, yes. And the Taming of the Snark. And yeah, yeah. The Hunting of the Snark. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, oh, what is the, oh, good. It's right over there. I was trying to think of the name of, I have this beautiful volume of Langston Hughes poetry that's illustrated by um, Brian Pinckney. And it's a picture book style. Um, it's just a wonderful book. So it's called The Dream Keeper. And it happens to be out on my shelf because we read it a lot. So that's why I was able to look at it and grab the title because I couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> okay. The Dream Keeper. Awesome. Great. So. My Amazon cart's going to explode after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's going to be very appreciative, I'm sure. <laughs> I've been told I'm a dangerous friend to have. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you say that you have, um, you know, regular read aloud time, you know, before they get on the iPad, but do uh -huh. you have other regular times that you do every day or is it kind of something you fit in or is it a mixture of both or do you schedule these it? Days, these days it's a mixture of both. Um, I have always tried to pin read alouds to certain activities. Like I always used to do breakfast and poetry. Oh, um, I love that. Okay. Because breakfast happens every day. So then poetry would happen every day. Right. Um, that was when my kids, my older set, were little. Now I will say that then 
they got bigger and I stopped having to get up to get everybody's breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that, that little, um, peg, I always call it like I peg, actually I got that term from Leone, um, yes. um, who, um, a friend on, on Charlotte Mason message boards, um, and she, she had this great notion of pegging things that you want to make sure that they happen every day. You um, think of things that do happen every day, and you, you, that's your peg that you're going to hang your other thing on, your activity on. So meal times were really good times for us as read-alouds for a very long time. Yeah, because everybody um, eats. So, yes. and, actually and their mouths are pretty quiet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Their mouths are full. It just meant that I then always had to kind of eat later. Um, and we still do that a little bit. Nowadays at lunchtime, um, that's when we do German lessons. So I still am eating later, but it's the same principle. We've pegged that to lunch. So it, it happens every day. So it works out well for us. Well, then um, I think it takes less willpower or like you have to, you have to work up less gumption when it's just something that you do at the same time every day. It just seems easier to slide back into it every day instead of having to like work up the enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That initiative can be the hard part for me in deciding now I'm going to do this thing. So if I've got it slotted into a certain time of day um, and there's a routine to it, then that seems to work well for everybody, especially the little ones, because they just kind of, they know, okay, now it's poetry time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And they like that. They embrace that rhythm and um, shape their day around it really naturally, I find. So we have nowadays with the assortment of kids that I have, we do, I do read aloud stuff with the older kids in the mornings um, between nine and noon, not for that whole time straight, of course, because that would be crazy. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I would have no voice left by lunchtime. Yeah. But um, they're doing a lot of other things in there too. But that is the chunk of the day when we know that we're going to find some time to sit down and read stuff together. Okay. Um, and then after lunch with the younger ones, um, then my husband reads out loud, um, to everybody at bedtime. Okay. So like from a chapter book or a, yeah. And usually like the boys go to bed earlier. So he reads to them. Um, or sometimes it'll be, you know, I'll go in and read to them or one of the big sisters will read to them, but always they get their, they get their reading time at their bedtime. And then the girls stay up a little bit later and, Scott always picks a book. He kind of has, well, I guess he goes back and forth. Sometimes he has the youngest one in mind, and sometimes he has the older ones in mind. But he's always picking things with an eye toward everybody's going to be in the room. And, and you know, when my oldest is home, even though she's 19 now, um, <laughs> she'll drift in or she'll sit with her door open so that she can hear because Scott's a really great reader and everybody likes to be there for his read-alouds. Yeah, you've mentioned that on the blog before, so I, <laughs> I thought so. Now, so he chooses the book, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, sometimes I'll say, you know what, Rilla has never heard um, By the Great Horn Spoon or something, and he'll he'll say, oh, okay, I'll do that one next. Uh, but he has his own roster of books that he, he loves to read. So he reads, he's the one who reads The Lord of the Rings. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And um, I'm so grateful because... Right. I'm reading The Hobbit right now. And the... Um... That's like months of, of investment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I, 
I, I crave change and variety, so I always am excited when it's time to start the next book. Um, but Scott is awesome about, he'll pick a long book or, you know, a long trilogy and hang in or he'll read all the Chronicles of Narnia. He'll read things that, you know, you know that's what they're doing for the next four months. Okay, uh, yeah, that's I struggle with that. So I've ten, I tend to like read the first book in a series and then uh-huh. sort of be like, okay, if you want to keep going, you get to read it on your own. <laughs> yep, yep. Because I'm ready oh, for something new. Sometimes, like in the middle of a novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'll be like, you know, you guys, if you're dying to know what happens, you can go ahead and finish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So I start. I I read the first half of a lot of books. Um, <laughs> And then I probably finish like every third book or maybe every other, depends. Um, but that's very, very common. If it's a novel, um, I often will read, you know, a, the first half of it and then turn it over to them to finish. It depends. If it's a family favorite that we're revisiting because the older ones wanted the younger ones to hear it, then I'll read the whole thing. Okay. Okay. So now do you work off a book list or do you just... Do you have you created your own, or do you just sort of grab what you feel like reading? We have a really insane number of books in this house. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> From having worked at um, back in the day in, in grad school, I worked at a children's bookstore and brought home very little money from that job. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got a huge discount. Um, and then I worked at Random House, and then I worked at HarperCollins in children's books both times. So, And it was just unbelievable there because people would clean off their shelves and put boxes of books in the hallway that were free to take. <laughs> oh, wow. Dangerous. And yeah. I used to every night just lug armfuls of books home. It, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was like living in the candy store. Oh, how fun. Science yeah. said yours, help yourself. So, um, and then, you know, now I get a lot of review copies. It just seems like we're, we're always overflowing in books, no matter how many I give away. Yep. Um, so usually when I'm looking for the next thing to read, I will just sort of walk through the house. Yeah. Okay. Um, and grab what jumps out at me. Um, I do have certain things in mind. You know, when we're reading, I, I always like to have a historical fiction selection kind of going along with wherever we're reading about in our nonfiction history studies. Okay. Um, so I usually will pull together, you know, maybe a dozen books um, onto one shelf and for the, for the teens um, or young, you know, Anyone who's of reading age, really. So now all of them, I guess. Um, <laughs> see, I'm not used to that yet. Um, to grab, you know, be like, oh, this is a really good book about um, the Civil War. You might enjoy, you know, something from this row. Um, okay. For them to read along, um, to further immerse themselves in the period. Um, and then I'll usually, I have certain books that I really like us to read together in that vein. Okay, so actually I'm going to interrupt you now, too, because you've said two things that are piquing my interest about make me think that your books are very well organized because you said earlier you said they were alphabetized and now you said from this row now my books are not remotely organized so how do you organize your books well it's different depending on the kind of book and I will say that right now we are in a state of um 
disarray. Um, I need to I need to do some re-alphabetizing, but that's a job I like to hire some of the kids to do over uh, the yeah, summer. Yeah, that's a great job to uh, hire them to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so picture books, I try to keep alphabetized by author, um, but picture books are mostly in the girls' bedroom, but then it seems like every room in the house has a shelf full of picture books. So it's, it's not, you know, they're not perfectly organized. Um, it's just that the books that like the five-year-old likes best wind up in his room. So okay, by his bed. So, but in the place where I have most of the picture books, which would be like a wall of picture books, yeah, <laughs> um, they're more or less alphabetized, but for, um, Everything else, all the poetry is in one section in the living room. Um, nonfiction sort of tends to be all in one section and sort of grouped by topic. Okay. And then all the fiction, all the middle grade fiction, which we have a lot of, is there's in one room is all the fantasy and, and science fiction. Okay. And then in the hallway, we have three big bookcases going down the hall, and that's where all the... Um, historical or contemporary realistic middle grade fiction is and that I tr I try to keep grouped by the chronology of of its setting <laughs> okay okay well that's helpful because I've I've kind of wondered about that before mine end up just being really not organized whatsoever but I would love to teach my actually that'd be a great pro summer project for them to do and to practice their alphabetizing skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find that they'll have fun with it. And that is a chore that I tend to pay for. Um, okay. you know, I mean, everybody's got household chores that are just part of life, but I, I, for special jobs, I like to, um, hire them. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good one. Anybody who wants to earn a little money can always make it by <laughs> reshelving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I've been excited to talk to you because you have six kids like I do, and I get a lot of questions about how to fit in read aloud time when there's toddlers and babies that are pretty hell-bent on sabotaging it, and I um, always say, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out myself, so I want to know what you've done with toddlers and babies. It is such a good question, and for such a huge part of my life, that has been exactly where I've lived, is in, in that space of... Um, forever trying to find the, the, the best solution. And I, I think I, I've been successful in different ways at different times. Um, the, I mean, the, the best way for me was always to plan our big read aloud time for whenever the baby would sleep. Okay. And that's not always possible, um, especially if you have one who's not a really regular napper, because it can be hard if there's not that kind of routine to pull everybody else away from what they're doing in the moment, because now the baby's gone down and I'm ready to read to you. Um, but I used to try pretty hard to get the babies to have at least one good morning nap, and I would just make sure I treated that as totally sacred time. I would not answer the phone. Um, I would not touch the computer. I would not do anything in the house. I would sit down and read the moment I put that baby down. Okay. Um, so that was one. Um, with toddlers, you know, I would try to include them, but I have always done a quiet time um, with my kids. So usually it would be an hour after lunch. Every, everybody was expected to go 
to their rooms, um, or they've always shared bedrooms, so sometimes I would split them up, Mm -hmm. and, you know, one kid on my bed, one kid on the couch, one kid in the kids' room, and um, this is more when my big girls were little, Mm -hmm. and I would rotate um, so that I had some one-on-one time with each of them, and reading aloud, that would allow me to read, you know, something... uh, read The Secret Garden with an older kid and read picture books or board books with the toddler, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, and it took, I mean, the thing that worked for me was practicing it a lot first, not expecting everybody to just do this because I said we we're going to do it this way, but to start out with 15 minutes and work our way up to an hour over the space of maybe two weeks. And, but to be really clear about you're allowed to be on your bed. You can play quietly with toys or you can look at books, but you don't get off your bed and it's quiet time. This is what we do now. Um, and just sort of um, practiced our way into it until it became a routine. And they all really loved it. They all loved, they knew they were going to get alone time with mommy. Um, they would start to look forward to. I sometimes would save special little toys, like little dolls or something that they were into that would be only the quiet time toys. Okay. That worked really, really well having, and actually that's worked in different, different permutations, um, other than quiet time. Like if I have a a set of cool blocks or something that I only bring out when I'm going to read aloud to someone else, um, that'll keep the toddler busy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've, I found that to be really true. That really helpful too. So then when you would go and have one-on-one time, did you, I mean, I always find that I'm kind of craving a break by around after lunch. So (laughs) would you spend that whole hour with on -on one-on-one time or did you take like a little time to yourself and go in there or how does that work? At that point, um, I would spend the whole hour because it it felt like it would go really fast. Yeah, I could see that. Uh Um, but it's true. I do. I, I would try and build some other point in the day, usually before that, um, like to give them a, a video or something where I could then slip away and have a little collect my head time. Um, so, okay, yeah. Okay. So I would do that first usually um, and then lunch and then quiet time. Okay. That's not, um, yeah, I, I could see that, that working. I could see that working really well here actually with the ages my kids are now. So. Or especially if we would go outside right after lunch and everybody would run around and then they were kind of ready for quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely, you know, would put on a video for them so that I could have that breather. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 
2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. So I'm going to ask you this question and hope you don't keel over with anxiety about answering it. (laughs) If your family was banished to a deserted island and you could only bring three books with you, which would you bring? (laughs) As I was coming up with that question, I thought, do I dare ask Melissa Wiley this question? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Three books. Okay. Okay. I'm having palpitation. Um, well, okay. I would bring. Can I bring like complete Shakespeare? Is oh, it yeah, that? Yeah, complete. Or, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the complete Shakespeare that will keep all of us happy with story and language for a very long time. Um, plus, we can act stuff out, so <laughs> it'll yes. give us something to do. Okay. Okay. What else? Um, the complete Mark Twain. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. okay. I bring the complete Mark Twain. Third one. Mm. Oh, okay. I know. I know because now I'm going to be practical. My third book choice would be, do you know the book called Back to Basics? No. Okay. It's like a Reader's Digest, big, giant, hardcover, how to do everything. So this is our survival manual. Oh, very good. Yes. <laughs> it's like how to skin a squirrel and <laughs> how to find water and how to build a, a, I don't know, everything that you need to build for survival. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I would have to get my copy of the book back because a friend of mine borrowed it a few years ago. We have this joke about like what we'll do if the grid goes down. She's got water on her property, so I always say, you know what, I'm going to show up at your house. And, yeah. <laughs> and she borrowed the book once, and, and she, she called me and said, I'm sorry, Lisa, I have to tell you, you're never getting it back. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm keeping it in case the grid goes down. That's you, right. You're going to be at my house anyway. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the plan. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about um, this perspective of reading aloud from the point of view of a writer, because you've written some of my very favorite children's books. The Prairie Thief, we read, I think, in two sittings. I mean, the kids were like, every time I'd say, okay, that's it for today and close it, I got this chorus of, you can't stop there. (laughs) So um, I've noticed, you know, yeah, I've noticed as a reader, you know, that some books are way easier to read aloud than others. I don't know if it's... um, dialogue that makes a book more readable out loud or what but can you speak to that a bit this is such a good question and it's so true some books just are really hard to read aloud um you know i remember there was a book um red sails to capri have you read that one we have it but i haven't read i have not read it yet okay i came across it years ago in the sunlight catalog and like on the sunlight forums it was one that people would say was their family's favorite read aloud and i have tried to read that book out loud five times in the last 15 years and i can't do it i can't make it past chapter three it just does it doesn't work for us as a read aloud at all the dialogue yeah it's so 
stilted, I find. And maybe, I mean, I've never actually tried to sit down and just read the book to myself, which I need to do, but I kind of got turned against it because of all of our failed attempts. And I would always be like, but people love this as a read aloud. <laughs> um, so sometimes maybe it's just the, the individual book and the individual reader, but I would say that there's definitely, it has to do in my mind with the, the dialogue is a big part of it. Does the dialogue flow off your tongue naturally? Does it come off conversationally? Or does it sound kind of artificial when you read it out loud in a way that maybe when you're reading it alone, it wouldn't. It wouldn't sound artificial at all. But um, often I find like if a book has a ton of exclamation points in it, it it's harder to pull off as a read aloud. You've really got to tone that down. Um, ah, interesting. Okay. Um, and then the amount of description, a book, I would say a good example of a book that I is one of my lifetime favorite books, but I don't, I have not found to be a super great read aloud is Anne of Green Gables. Yes. I haven't actually tried to read that one out loud, but it's a very favorite of mine, of course. I, I mean, I, my whole life is wrapped up in Anne of Green Gables and <laughs> I, I, I love Montgomery's writing so, so much. I've read everything she ever wrote like numerous times, but I don't actually find her work to be that great for read alouds in part because she's really fond of um, long sort of rhapsodic descriptions of nature which are beautiful as you're reading them to yourself. But the seventh time that you're describing the ethereal purple clouds out loud, it just doesn't, it, like everybody is kind of wanting you to move on, get yeah. on with the story. Yeah. Um, so I think there is something in the way that we read when we read to ourselves. We may come to those passages that are very descriptive and absorb them faster than when you're reading every word of them out loud. Um, so I do think finding a book that has it, it has a lot to do with the the pacing of it and the balance of dialogue and and exposition, but also and it's funny because this really only struck me recently. Um, I was asked to participate in this writing process blog tour where a lot of writers are sharing. It's these four questions that you answer about your own work, and one of the questions was, "What is different about your work?" Um, from other writers, which is a question I'd never really thought of before. You know, what's what's different about my writing? Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I came up with was that I think because I spend so much of my time reading out loud, the cadences of a good read aloud are kind of really in my blood now. I think that's been really good training for me as a writer. Um, and I don't know that would have occurred to me before um, being confronted with that question, but I, I do think when I'm writing, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it read aloud as well. Do you read it out loud to yourself? Like, do you orally? Yes, yeah. I okay. do. And actually, I have a really firm policy about this because um, <laughs> um, I'm sure you can relate as a mom to having to read picture books, a favorite picture book that you read over and over and over and over again, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you get sick of it. And especially there will be certain places where you're tempted to cut corners, but, you know, the kid knows it by heart. And so they notice if you leave off that one sentence. So having read, what, hundreds, thousands maybe of picture books out loud mm -hmm. over the years, I, I, every beginning reader or picture book manuscript that I work on, I read out loud 
um, like dozens and dozens of times. Okay, okay. <laughs> because I figure if there's anything that I'm tempted to skip over as I'm reading it out loud, it can go. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so it's a good way for me. And so because that works for me with shorter texts, I do it as well for um, novel length books. I read it out loud. I also was trained by an editor who he would make us do what he called Bartleby-ing um, after Bartleby the Scrivener, where um, when we were getting our magazine ready to go to print, one of us would read everything out loud, including like we had little words that we said for every exclamation point, and the other one would be following along on the page, and so that we could, th- this was just a way of like really um, carefully proofreading, but that practice as well kind of persuaded me um, of the benefits of reading work out loud before you submit it. Well, I really, that post that you mentioned um, where you kind of discovered that, I love that. I actually read that not too long ago and bought Scrivener after that. And Scrivener <laughs> is kind of blowing my mind. I am it, like, how have I lived without this? <laughs> isn't it amazing? Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's such a great organizational tool. Yeah. Yeah. It's helping me think that I can possibly organize my writing in a way that matches what I think. It, how, I don't know how my brain thinks about it. So, but I've never been able to manage it before. So, yeah, well, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, um, library visits. I wanted to ask you about library visits. Now, I, um, I love going to the library. Now it's a little stressful because my three youngest are um, two and then twin, ten month olds. So right, right. Yeah. But um, in theory, I love visiting the library. But I'm struggling lately my kids have been finding a lot of junk on the shelves so how do you deal with that I know you have a twaddle radar you know so (laughs) how do you you know do you pre-read do you make them check it in with you before you check out or how do you deal with that? A lot depends on the age of the kids um I mean once they're a certain age I give them pretty much free reign um like from the time they're 13 14 and up um, when they're younger, though, I guess I would say my tolerance for twaddle has relaxed tremendously over the years. Um, so that, but but I won't hesitate to tell them you can check out this book, um, and I'll read it to you once, but I'm not going to read it a hundred times. Um, I mean, I don't really say it just like that. It happens more organically, <laughs> that conversation. But I will say the writing in this book isn't as strong, so let's read something different. Um, okay. Because I think it's it's okay and good for them to know that I'm making a discernment about the quality of writing in something. But at the same time, I, I never, ever try to you know disparage or, or make them feel bad about a book that they like. Um, Especially, you know, if it's a like a licensed um, tie-in, um, because actually those can be great. They can be great fun for a kid. Um, and my husband writes a lot of that, um, and I know that he strives really hard to make well-written quality, you know, read-alouds or, or um, picture books and and um, early chapter books when he's doing, you know, like a Marvel superhero movie tie-in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my my what I know about the way kids interact with those is that they can be door openers um, to imaginative play, and so I'm I don't mind when I see my kids drifting towards something that you know 
I know isn't um, as literary as, you know, this picture book I've got in my hand. So I just try to balance it. Okay, yeah, I've kind of that I've kind of struggled with this over time, but I think what I've come down on lately that's been working for me is, you know, I read aloud really good quality literature and then if they want to pick some twaddle from the library right. that, to read to themselves, but I'm not going to read Dora, but <laughs> but if you want to. Right. I'll read Dora once. Any favorite book lists or book blogs that you can't live oh, without? Oh yeah. Um yeah, oh, that's a really good question. Well, okay, on my own site, I I have a page of book recommendations where I periodically go in and add another big chunk of books that I've written about to it. So it's constantly needing a new update, but it's, you know, there's hundreds of books there okay. now. So those are things that my family likes. Um, Sybils.com, do you know the Sybils? No. The, mm -mm. Okay. Oh, yes, yes. The You've sent me there before from your blog. Yeah, it's C-Y-B-I-L-S dot com. It stands for Children's and Young Adult Bloggers Literary Awards. So every year um, there will be books nominated in a, a wide range of categories, pretty much every, every category of children's book, um, all the way up to YA. And these nominations will be whittled down by a panel of judges in each category to this short list of finalists and then another round of judging will happen when they'll pick one winner for each category for the year. Well, the short lists are some of the, the best book recommendations you can find for what's being published right now, you know, each year. And I think this year was something like the seventh or eighth year of Sybils. So those go back now quite a ways. So that's a great site. Okay. Um, Jen Robinson's books page is a really good recommendation, especially for picture books and things for younger readers. Okay. And that's jkrbooks.typepad.com. Um, and then if you go to kidlitosphere.org, um, k-i-d-l-i-t-o-sphere.org, um, there's a master list there of people who blog about children's books. So that's just a treasure trove. I mean, there's amazing resources there. Awesome. Okay. Very good. Now, um, I asked my uh, Facebook readers um, if they had any questions for you, and Amanda wanted to know what your favorite books were for early readers, both both read-alouds and easy readers for uh, Oh, good question. Um, well, that's a really good question. Well, I mean, the Mo Willems Elephant and Piggy books yes, are love those. just so, so good and so fun especially with a, a fledgling reader because, like, you can read Elephant and she can read Piggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there's very little text on them. So those have been huge hits with my kids. Um, I, I mean, I love, gosh, the, the old school original Little Bear books are, are wonderful. Okay. Um, let's see, for read a lot, like, if you want something a little bit, because one of the great things about reading aloud is that you can read so much above a child's level yeah. and they comprehend so much. Um, so I like things like Millie Molly Mandy, um, Beatrix Potter, um, obviously. Um, so fun and such a great way to stretch vocabulary. Beatrix Potter. Yeah. <laughs> 
her her words are amazing. And then you have, you know, like this two-year-old saying, perambulate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, you know, one of our favorite books, really the first, when we have a little one who's ready to, for something beyond picture book for the first time for read aloud, we almost always do the My Father's Dragon books. Okay. Um, by Ruth Stiles Gannett. Mm-hmm. Um, the McBroom books, do you know, um, oh, the yes. Farmer McBroom uh-huh. by Sid Fleischman, those are some super favorites of mine. Um, I forgot about those. I need to go get, dig those off the shelf for my son. I totally forgot about those ones. Yeah. I think and then probably, your Inch and Rolly books, those are, um, yeah, fantastic. those are early readers. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I find that early readers, so like books that are written for beginning readers to read by themselves, I think those make really great read alouds for toddlers because the text is very simple and they're, you know, full of illustrations. So Mm -hmm. they're like picture books, but they're um, stretching out into a sort of chaptery format. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, my younger kids have always liked early readers as as read alouds, like when they're two. Well, and then it's like they, when they learn how to read them themselves, read that book themselves. It's probably like, hey, that's one of my favorite books, and I can read it all by myself now instead of it being a whole new. I don't know. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, my list of picture books that we all love is just enormous. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't say just those stories though, and I should say that because that has been another one of just the huge successes with every single one of my kids. They love the Just So Stories um, by Kipling. Mm -hmm. They're so fun to read aloud. You have so much fun with the language, and the stories are deeply, deeply engaging to little ones because it's all these how-did-animals-get-like-that stories. Yeah, And so I think that's one of the things that people tend to have on their shelf because everybody knows it, but you don't always remember to pull it off the shelf. And I, you know what? I could pick that as a Desert Island book, too, because it just never stops being fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and then voices. Do you use character voices when you read aloud? I do. Yeah, so do I. That's really fun. And um, I just actually interviewed Jim Weiss for the, <gasps> yes. I actually, He's so lovely. Oh. I Actually, we used to live near Jim and his wife, Randy. And, oh, you um, did. When we lived in Virginia, and we got to go to their house once and see his studio, and it was just amazing. They're lovely. Oh, lovely. very good. Yes, he. Uh, I actually just aired that first podcast. He was talking about character voices and um whatnot that's an episode four and then the next one is going to be um well the rest of our conversation we had this great epically long conversation that explained <laughs> that um but he was so inspiring and he was giving some great tips for different character voices and stuff but I had a feeling that Scott did great voices I think maybe you've said that on your blog before yes. <laughs> somehow I knew that but um do you have any tricks for like remembering what voices go with which character or anything like that well, I probably fall into a couple of stock voices for certain types of characters. So, like, my old man voice is probably my, my same old man voice. Um, I I was a drama major in college before I switched my major to English, but I wound up with enough credits in drama to that I could have I had a major in that, too. And so <laughs> we, we learned dialects, and I'm not great at anything, but um, I find that that class, has come in so handy. I bet. It's probably <laughs> the most mom? useful college class that you ever took. <laughs> I know. I laugh about it all the time because who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> I use it every single day. Well, my, um, my I always sound like 
I'm from England when I'm doing an accent of any kind and my husband will look over (laughs) at me and be like wrong part of the world you know (laughs) I'm like I don't know (laughs) well I find I do love to read um books that are set in England um or Scotland or something even more that because then I get to do all the voices and I remember one time I was writing about reading the railway children um and how much fun it was because of all the accents and my friend Catherine who lives in England, wrote, and she was like, I had to think a minute, what accents are you talking about? <laughs> How funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, the, for, for trying to get into a dialect like that, my trick is that I think of a word um, in the dialogue, the dialect that's my hook, so that I can, or a sentence that I can just say to myself, kind of to okay, now I can do it. Now I can, now I can read the new stuff in it. And it's you know I'm reading it for my kids, so it, it's not very good, and it doesn't have it to doesn't be very matter. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned this trick when I, I didn't realize when I started writing the Martha books, the Little House books that about Martha Morse. You know, those are set in Scotland, and it, as I'm writing them, it, it hadn't really occurred to me that I would at some point be called upon to read those books out loud. <laughs> to audiences and I the first time I was going to have to do this I was like panicky like oh I can't do a Scots at all a Scots dialect yeah, yeah. so I ordered um, an actor's dialect tape and listened to it and actually I found it helpful to me during the writing um, to listen to that just to kind of get the rhythms the lilt the cadence right um now you can just go to YouTube and get the same thing. You know, yeah. you type in like Yorkshire accent and look at that. Yeah, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, I tried to read the Martha books out loud. Um, oh gosh, it had to have been at least five years, maybe more than that, actually, um, ago. And I, as soon as I started, I realized I do not have any idea how to do a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> but the way you wrote it actually helps because you you – the language is actually, you know, the words are actually written in such a way that it, it kind of helps you as you're reading aloud. Well, that was a tough call, how much dialect to write. You really have to weigh that heavily, especially for middle grade, because you don't want it to be distracting or, or block. off-putting, yeah, to readers. I remember I got one letter from um, a little boy who was nine years old, and he said, I really liked it, even though it had very hard words like ye and ken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was so dear. Um, but there were lots of, of kind of standard Scots words that I didn't use, like gang for going, because uh, that would have been, while more correct, it would have been really, really hard for, you know, an American kid to understand what was being said in that sentence. So it sort of would cross the line into the stumbling block point. Right. So Well, that's where audiobooks, I think, come in handy. I mean, that's yeah. why I, we're doing Thomas Sawyer on audio is because I thought, well, we'll just get that dialect just right and it will be more fun for someone who knows what he's doing to <laughs> read it out loud. Right, but. right. And that's a good way to go with stuff that has heavy, heavy dialects. Um, my husband stumbled upon a very important um, lesson for read-alouds with character voices because I think I want to say it's the Lord of the Rings. So he was really reading that for months. And I don't remember if it was his Gandalf voice or it might have been Gimli. It might have been his Gimli voice. Whatever it was, it was really throaty. <laughs> it oh, was really yeah. deep and yeah. throaty. 
And he he would come out and he'd be like, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> so you have to make sure that you can sustain it. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading The Hobbit and my voice for Gollum is, yeah. <laughs> as soon as I started, I thought, wow, I'm going to really do this for <laughs> this entire chapter, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's good to take a minute before you start and, and try and figure out, for at least for the big speaking parts, what it's going to sound like because it's so easy to commit to something that's going to be hard to pull off. Coming up with my hook word has really helped me. So like my word for Scottish is invisible. If I go invisible. Oh, okay. And so then in your mind, if you just kind of do that over and over. Yeah, when, yeah. like we're meant to be invisible. Then I can get into it a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So you do that with a like just a word or a phrase. Every yeah. Time. Yeah. Like a little sentence or a couple of words that um, sound like that accent to me, and then I can get it. So, oh, so if I'm going to pick up a book and it's got somebody speaking in a certain accent, I'm going to just take a second before I start and and kind of hear that in my head. <laughs> well, and gosh, if you go to YouTube and you look up the um, accent and then you have that hook, man, that could be really useful. I think that's going to be my new trick because that really, that's really useful, actually. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Elsa, and I am six years old. And my favorite story is Cinderella. I like all the versions. Cinderella is beautiful. And my favorite part is when the prince finds her because he, she lost her slipper. Hello, my name is Jaeger and I am nine. My favorite book is The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. And I like this book because Dad, who reads it aloud to me, has great voices for the characters. The book is long, and I like long books. The characters are funny, too. In conclusion, I like, I love The Hobbit. would love to hear from your child about what their favorite read aloud book is. So go ahead and head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and help your child leave me a message there. Maybe we'll hear them on an upcoming podcast. That's the end of episode seven. For your chance to win a copy of Melissa Wiley's book, The Prairie Thief, head to readaloudrevival.com. Look for episode seven. You'll find show notes that ha- that has links to everything we talked about in the show today, or at least as many of those books as I could keep up with. <laughs> um, and then a uh, place to enter to win Melissa's book. And uh, that's it. I hope to join you again very soon. Go build your family culture around books. Mm-hmm.